In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I've been reflecting on this verse all week and realized that a strong foundation is good for everything. Even the three little piggies found that out, that straw and sand were not going to cut it when the big bad wolf came puffing at their little houses. So what does a firm foundation in the Lord mean? Letting go of fear, striding forth in his footsteps, regardless of the strikes the world deals us along the path of our insignificant lives. When our gaze is firmly fixed on heaven, the whole object of this worldly life is to get through it, not understand it. It's totally non-understandable, but just not a match for God's intellect. The object of our lives on earth is to get through it by working for the Lord, not for anyone else. Accept the mysteries, accept God's abounding love, accept salvation, stand firm. Do not waver and the world will be doable. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Diane Flynn Keith returns as my guest this week. She's a lifelong lover of learning. My book excerpt will conclude my chapter on finances. I'll talk about birds flying the coop, the weather a bit, antibiotics, the reason I'm cleaning, and six-month celebrations. So grab your cuppa and join me for another slice of McNinney life. Malia, our ex-barista, doesn't have a job, and she doesn't need reminding of this fact. But that doesn't seem to affect her spending power, or should I more accurately say, her spending desire. Well, the bank clipped her wings, so she's unable to use her debit card anymore, but trying to instill in her the value of money is proving to be next to impossible. In true British style, she refuses to talk about greenbacks. I hate talking about money, Mum, she'll say to me, the end. The end was the other day. She celebrated her six-month anniversary with her boyfriend. This is a big deal, and I supported her as she sensibly made the two of them very artsy and thoughtful matching T-shirts with a familiar saying tastefully painted on the fabric, which holds a special meaning for them. She discovered today that she'd forever set in paint the wrong dates for their six-month anniversary, thinking that October was the eighth, not the tenth month. Where did she go to school? Hopefully, no one will notice. Oops. The project took her a few days of experimentation and careful planning, and she really did put a lot of love and effort into it. I was proud of her. His gift to her was a lot more expensive and took no personal preparation. He'd given her the choice of a North Face jacket, Uggs, 
or a piece of jewellery. She sensibly threw out the jewellery option, saying it would likely be a ring and she wasn't ready for that yet. Ah, my daughter. She really didn't want a jacket because in England everyone wears longer heavy coats. It gets so darn cold there for a long time, so Uggs were the top of her list. And in true male mindset, what did she get? A North Face jacket. It was too big, so they went out together earlier this week to get a refund or make an exchange. And the jacket she came home with was just a fleece with the telltale North Face patches on the shoulders. I didn't think it was worth the money, and I said, we never buy designer clothes. A jacket either keeps you warm or it doesn't. The label's neither here nor there. She defended her designer item of clothing, but still lamented the passing of the Uggs. Then her income tax refund came in. Ah, spent just like that. She hardly had the envelope open and the money was spoken for. She was online looking up those out-of-season ugly boots. $180 a pop. As I said, we don't buy designer clothes in our house for a good reason. What's wrong with goodwill? Whoa, I said to the girl who had rapidly become my husband's daughter. Not that he spends money unwisely, but she certainly was no relative of mine when it came to spending. I kindly pointed out to her that she still owed her older brother money, and technically the tax refund should go to him. Stone-cold silence with a look to match met me. She hastily reminded me of all the hard-earned barista money she transferred into my account while she was still employed. And all I said was, that's for England and rent and stuff. My popularity was plummeting. But, but, she said, clutching at straws, this is the last thing I want to buy. This ended as a statement. On the defensive now, I said, well, buy some of the dance shoes you'll need next year with the money, not Oaks, which we can find for a fraction of the cost without the official logo. Wrong. Of course, she's still a teenager, remember? How could I forget? In the end, I asked her why she'd exchanged the jacket for a jacket when it really wasn't what she'd wanted. I want both, she said defiantly. She became mine again after a few moments when she took her jacket off and put it in the back seat of the car and decided to get a refund and buy the Uggs. She was a proud owner of a North Face jacket for, oh, 24 hours. On that financial note, we'll go to my final excerpt from my chapter entitled Money, the False Idol, and how we all learned to make do on less. If you wait until you can afford to have children, then you never will. My mother loved to share this piece of maternal wisdom with me as she went through a phase of thinking being a grandmother would be fun. It complemented the root of all evil one, money. Since I'd already had my children without asking the price, the saying took on a different, more tangible meaning 14 years ago on the eve of our entry into homeschooling as we reworded the famous words. If you wait until you can afford to do anything, then you never will. Mother's sayings are very biblical in composition. No matter where you are in your life, there are always words and phrases niggling in the back of your mind that your mother said to you when you were a brilliant, omniscient teenager. And the words were supposed to fall on deaf ears. But unbidden from the depths of the subconscious, they surface at inopportune moments to prove that mother was indeed the fountain of all knowledge, which her tone of voice had declared her to be decades ago. At the time of delivery, the advice was dismissed as irrelevant and unconscious, I'm sorry, unconsciously stored somewhere in the grey matter to be retrieved many years later and classified as sage advice. 
this is a sobering thought for all of us parents who despair of our children ever really taking our wisdom and experience to heart. Henceforth, I decided to take the modified sage advice of my mother and enter into homeschooling without counting the cost. I also threw in a lot of faith and a little God testing for good measure. According to the prophet Malachi, we're allowed to test God in the area of money, specifically tithing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be good in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Malachi 3.10. I'm still waiting for the floodgates of heaven to open and experience a little financial security, but to date, I must be fair, despite the fact that I've given God all kinds of ideas about the heaping wealth portion of his promise, I still wait patiently for oil to begin gushing from our back 40. Of course, a warning label accompanies this kind of faith. It's not for the faint-hearted. We have to be really brave. Life is so much fun with the children bouncing in and out of it that we still declare money a nuisance and earning it a killjoy. Not that we don't enjoy the fruits of what money can buy. We have to be realistic if we want to live in a world manipulated by corporate America. We just dislike the restrictions earning it places on our lives. Looking back as a veteran of homeschooling with an intelligence that far outweighs any mogul snatched from history, I can honestly state that the more years I've put behind me as a homeschooler, the less money I've spent on homeschooling, that is. I find I can get most of my material from the library, and with the advent of computers and internet in our house, I can browse the catalogue from the comfort of my office desk, conveniently located next to my bed for those moments of utter exhaustion, which beset high-level entrepreneurs from time to time. Together, we've chosen the books we want to use for the diverse subjects we're taking this semester, the quantity of which still boggles my well-heeled friend who retires to her couch with a headache whenever she looks at my materials. The amount of money I choose to spend has never determined the academic standard of my student body. Let's face it, a good essay is only as good as the writer, and a $3,000 Mac computer will not yield the A that a pencil and paper fails to accomplish. I've homeschooled both with a bottomless pit of money and on a shoestring. The deciding factor has always been how receptive of my offspring this year, not how well are my pockets lined. How are you going to manage now that Larry only has a part-time job, a friend of mine asked one day. She regarded me for a moment before answering her own question. Actually, you're amazing. However much money you do or do not have always seems to be enough. When I told my cousin that we'd just rework our budget in order to make our income stretch, she laughed at the word rework. Our children have learned that they will get the important things in life. There will always be a way. This is why they look at us with a grin when they're told we can't afford something. They have their own money now. Little jobs at the theatre that pay stipends, representing great riches to underage employees. When they remember to amid the glow of newfound affluence, they tailor their wants to suit their income. Curiously, Ashley having to trade their free time for working has given money, or at least their hard-earned money, a different value altogether. Parental money somehow appears out of nowhere and can and should be distributed freely when required. Theirs is only good for an item to be used exclusively for self. We douse this thinking fairly fast by insisting that a portion of their money be tithed 
saved and shared. We enjoyed our family dinners out during the summer when we were all paid for participating in the summer shows. We supported the savers among them and encouraged the careful shoppers. They all opened bank accounts and learned to be responsible stewards. Homeschooling has prevailed. Today, my test has reached its final stage. I'm growing more vigilant at the imagined sight of our gushing oil well that would heap great wealth upon us if only God would do his magic. I now know our oil well is our family. Not quite the black gold I'd envisioned, but it has become our true wealth, sometimes gushing, often bubbling, always there. I've realized that nothing short of divine intervention could have allowed us to continue in our original quest. We worked around irregular hours and unreliable paychecks. Our budget expanded or constricted accordingly. As I said, this kind of life is not for the faint-hearted. It's an adventure for those of us who are convicted that what we're doing is right for our lives. As such, I would highly recommend it. The real black stuff continues to flow in parts of the world where I hope my boys are never sent. The wealth it gives is not guaranteed to sustain or satisfy. And so I realize that I'm blessed by my special form of liquid gold in the persons of my children who abide in Christ. toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Christian work-at-home moms, here is your own show on Toginet. It's CWAM, Christian work-at-home moms with Jill Hart and Diana Innan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet. Um, I'd love to share with you just a little bit about how CWAM can help you, whether you are new to the work-at-home world and just starting out your search, or whether you've been working at home for a while and are looking to grow your business. Jill Hart is the founder of Christian Work-at-Home Moms, CWAM.com, and co-author of So You Want to Be a Work-at-Home Mom. Jill has worked from home from 2000 and started her home-based business to assist other Christians who desire to work from home while maintaining a godly life. And Diana Ennett with virtualwordpublishing.com. I really, truly want to see you succeed, want to share the joy that I have in being home with my kids and being able to build my own business. And she's ready to help you now. Christian Work at Home Moms with Jill Hart and Diana Anna. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon, starting at 3, 2 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
But, you know, me being me, I cannot help but surreptitiously ask the Lord to bless us with a great windfall. Obviously, and I speak from experience, being financially secure is probably not on the cards. Still, I promise God that we will disprove all reports stating that recipients of huge amounts of money invariably end in ruin. Just test us, Lord, I pray. We will be the exception, I state. Your will be done, I entreat with a smile, as I knock back yet another loaf of bread and wonder how soon I can send my children out to work to help pay the bills. Well, I am thrilled to welcome this afternoon, welcome back, um, Diane Flynn-Keith, who is an alternative education specialist, coach, author, and speaker. Her sons bypassed traditional high school and engaged in volunteer work, flight lessons, working in retail and the trades, and performing in music venues with their bands. They're now both graduates of the Musicians Institute and are pursuing productive careers in the music industry. Today, we're going to be talking about how teens and their homeschooling parents can live an independent life of self-directed learning. Welcome. Diane. Oh, thank you, Vivian. It's really fun to be back with you. Well, good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Are you busy? Oh, you know, I'm always, I'm always extremely busy, but I, I enjoy being busy. I'm a real high energy person, and I just like to, you know, I I feel like I just have a lot to accomplish on this planet during my time here. I know. I I mean, I'm. I've been talking about, you know, sort of empty nest, and the emptier my nest becomes, the busier I become. I'm going, how did I do it with four children? And, oh, I don't know. Do you feel, <laughs> yeah, do you feel I, the same way? Yeah, yeah I do. And I, I think that's, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think uh, that's an important thing for homeschool parents to know. Um, it, actually, the whole empty nest syndrome, I didn't experience it in the way I think a lot of people who are, who don't get to just relish in their kids' companies all through their lifetimes, you know, uh, do. I, I think that empty nest is sort of um, a time of regret that you don't have your children with you anymore. And um, I think when you homeschool and you have them with you all the time, you're so filled up. Your bucket is so full that you're ready to just, you know, let go and let them fly. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I'm thinking, yep, we have really had them, you know, 24-7. And when we see them go on their way and be successful in their own lives and, and eventually move out and that, it's great because you go, now I can do something for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. It's it's keeping, it's understanding that you don't, I, a lot of people talk about homeschooling as a huge sacrifice, and I never thought that way at all. It was just part and parcel of our lives together, and I always continue to um, improve myself and to learn and to, you know, figure out what my role was in this world as well and what contribution I wanted to make so that when I had the time, I, I could really focus on doing that. So I think it's important for uh, for moms to, to um, you know, to, to maintain their own interests and to develop themselves when they can, as they can, while they're living and growing with their kids. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, just working on, you know, just being around hubby too is another thing because my husband works out of the house. And so, you know, the two of us are at home all the time, have our different little offices and stuff. But um, And that yeah, that I found is fun too because I, I get much more of his attention because he doesn't have, you know, I don't have to share him with the children anymore. And it's really nice. <laughs> oh, oh, that's wonderful. You have that. You have a, that's a... <laughs> 
Uh, that's something that a lot of people aspire to, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I talk a lot on my show about um, people who have just started homeschooling and the, the early years of homeschooling. And um, we've not really touched, especially not this year, much about, you know, what do you do once they become teenagers, once they start to maybe, well, we worry a little bit that they're, they're going to go, oh, maybe I am missing something by not going to school. And so, I mean, how, how does a homeschooling parent kind of deal with their older children as, as they're growing into their older teenage years and, and maybe uh, expecting more or wanting more than, you know, just the phonics and the flashcards? <laughs> I think, um, I, you know, I, I probably some of the things I, ha- I have some really strong opinions about this, and maybe some of the things are a little controversial, but I'll, I, let's just say keep everybody keep an open mind. <laughs> Okay. And, and, and I'll kind of give you an idea of what 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 I've been thinking about over the past I don't know probably ten years. But um, I'd like to challenge people to sort of think outside their comfort zone when they're thinking about homeschooling teenagers. Um, uh, people homeschool and they have all kinds of freedom and flexibility, but they insist on sort of slavishly adhering to a standardized curriculum during the high school years. And I, I, I recognize that that's due to fear, fear that the, you know, that, that the culture um, uh, propagates, you know, by telling us that, you know, unless our kids do this, they're not going to uh, ever get accepted to college or ever get a job. And, and it's, just, it's just nonsense. But I think also this, this idea that we have to force our teens to do this kind of standardized curriculum is very frustrating for them. And so what I want to try to encourage people is to sort of rethink the teen in high school years and to, you can bypass high school and standardized curriculum and still get into a competitive college or have the career of your dreams. And um, so I, I'm doing a lot of work to encourage people to do that. And um, I think, you know, Vivian, a lot of homeschoolers, if you ask them why they want to homeschool, they'll tell you that it's because they want their kids to become independent, self-directed, mm-hmm. lifelong learners, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, following a standardized curriculum is counterintuitive to my way of thinking to achieve mm-hmm. that goal. If you use a standardized, a traditional standardized curriculum with your teens, then what they're learning to do is to do only what they're told, to ignore their own interests and talents, to do meaningless assignments, to to do irrelevant work that that helps them achieve a grade or admission to college, rather than to gain personal satisfaction or self knowledge or gratification. And I think. If you really, if all of us just really think about that, it's no wonder so many teens are angry. And mm-hmm. and so the question I have is, why aren't all of us angry about that agenda? It doesn't have to be that way. So, so I am on a real quest here, a real mission to try to get people to at least rethink the idea and open their minds to the possibilities. Well, that's right. I think I think people have this impression that, um, you know, if you ask your friends how important are, are their children to them, they will tell you that they are the most important people in their family. And yet you you see all of these mothers working, taking their children to daycare where they're there for maybe eight hours a day or during the week. And you think, you know, what they've just said and what they're doing just really don't match. So why? It, it, you know, it's just this, this total reliance on 
other people taking that role of parent and it's just so accepted and it's just so trusted and really I don't you know I I agree with you absolutely wholeheartedly but how do you change um, a whole society's mindset you know how easy is that it's not it isn't. It isn't easy uh, to tire to rethink this, and I think what you have to do is maybe take a little look at, you know, what what's holding us back, um, and and why we do that. Uh, as I mentioned, um, the noise from the culture really starts, especially when the kids hit what they call tween age. Now, you know, uh, mm-hmm. ten, eleven, twelve, when they get to the double digits, uh, we've been told over and over that you know we have to look ahead to high school now and. So, and that in order to get into um, a, a good college, you have to do well in high school so you can, you know, get that, to that college, so you can get a good job, so you can make money, so you can buy cool stuff, you know, if that, as if that's the be-end-all, be-all, mm-hmm. be end-all in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in spite of the fact that many of us, we walked that path, didn't we? And, yeah. and we didn't find the Holy Grail. So we're, we're trying, and we're still trying to figure out as adults who we are and what we want to be when we grow up and, and what's really going to satisfy us. And I just think really, Vivian, we're sold a lot of fear. Fear that if our young adult children don't go to high school and college, then they'll have one of three choices. You, you, they can either become a drug addict, they can pick aluminum, aluminum cans out of dumpsters for cash. Mm-hmm. Or they go to prison. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we're told. And it's just not true. And, and because we're afraid, we surrender four years of our young adult life at its most productive and creative stage to traditional schooling. In my opinion, that's exactly what we're doing. And um, because we think we have no other choice and we can't imagine it any other way. Mm-hmm. And. And so you have to start putting on your thinking caps and really, we, in homeschooling, we begin, to, I mean, we question, obviously, uh, the, um, the, the social norm of sending kids away to school. So once you start questioning that, which is huge, then you start questioning many other things. And what I'm saying to people is instead of getting so full of fear that you freeze and determine that, okay, we're going to just send them back to school when they hit their high school years, or we're going to force them to do a standardized curriculum like kids in schools are doing, to, to let go of the fear, to, to think through the fear, and, and search for another way to do this thing. And, but, but it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of thought, and it takes a lot of communicating with your spouse and with your kids, and it takes collaboration. So now, instead of thinking of ourselves as a teacher for our high school age students, we're going to become collaborators with these young adults and helping them to figure out their path um, and, and what's the best course of action for them. Well, and, and as homeschoolers, we've already stepped out of the box. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to a few unschoolers in their mid to late 20s who have said, well, and then we go all the way through our homeschool, you know, sort of school years. And then all of a sudden, our parents and everybody are expecting us to go to college, which is another institution. And they're going, why? And um, I'm thinking, yep, you know, you have a point there. We've already stepped out of the box. So why do we, uh, why is it so easy for us to get back in the box? Yeah, why? Yeah, it's fear. I'm I'm certain that yeah. that's, that's what yeah. causes it. That fear that they're not going to get a job and that they're not going to 
go to college and that they're not going to be able to support themselves and their families. And it's all of those kinds of things that come up. And, and the truth is we all reinvent ourselves all the time throughout our lives. And, yeah. and you know, it, it, when you're flying through life, it's sort of like you, when you fly an airplane. The airplane, you, you plot a course, but the airplane drifts off course all the time. And the pilot corrects the course yeah, and gets it back constant. on course. So you do the same thing with your life. It's just called mm-hmm. self-correcting. And so what if you fall flat in your face? Failure isn't final, right? No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and, and for those of us who are just joining us, I'm talking to Diane Flynn-Keith, editor-in-chief of HomeFires.com, a website devoted to kindling a lifelong love of learning and empowering parents around the world with the support and resources needed to help their children, particularly their teens, get a meaningful education at home. So... Um, Come back, we'll be gone for about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressey. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Togedat.com. Now, this Saturday morning, we're going to count them down one more time from number 40 all the way to number one with the official classic hits countdown, the American Rock and Roll Countdown. We'll count down the biggest hits of the 70s with interviews and artist information, news, weather, sports, you name it, we'll have it this Saturday morning, 9 o'clock Eastern, right here on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Um, so, Diane, we're talking about high school and um, sending our teens, some homeschoolers, and I did. I had a couple of friends who literally homeschooled their children up until they were ready to go and, you know, become a freshman in high school. And they sent them off to high school. And I'm going, what, what? That's the worst time. That's when I'd be pulling my kids out. But um, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about the history of high school? I mean, why high school? Why can't they? I mean, in England, we can leave school at 16 and we go on to, like, vocational technical schools and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, European nations have it have it better. I think um, 
the history of high school is high school here in the United States was not and did not become accessible to the majority of adolescents until the mid-1930s. And the Depression era um, started with the stock market crash in 1929, and it made jobs scarce for adults. So essentially it was a feat of social engineering to take teens out of the labor pool and warehouse them in schools for four years under the pretense of giving them a higher education that would better prepare them for the industrial management jobs of the future. Mm-hmm. Now, does that rhetoric sound familiar to you at all? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're hearing the same thing over and over today that teens need high school and college in order to prepare for the tech jobs of the future, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the noise we all hear. We get inundated with it. And, and my question about that is, is that true? And to me, it seems awfully suspicious when you consider that the guys who started the tech firms, most of them didn't complete college. Um, John Taylor Gatto, he, he wrote, he's the author of the book. Are, are you familiar with him? Yes. Yes, and he wrote Weapons of Mass Instruction. Mm-hmm. And he noted in that book that the college, uh, he noted a bunch of college dropouts who have succeeded, and they include people like Bill Gates of Microsoft, who dropped out of college his freshman year, and then he hooked up with another dropout, Paul Allen, and they founded Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Or he mentioned Steve Jobs, who's the brains behind Apple, and he mm-hmm. dropped out of Reed College after just one semester and then partnered with another dropout, Steve Wozniak, when, and, they, and then they found Apple together. And Michael Dell of Dell Computer, he didn't go to college. Larry Ellison, who's the CEO of Oracle, he said he didn't have time to waste on college. And so here are these multi-billionaires who've changed the face of global society and technology, and they were all dropouts. And then he, he mentions Ray Kroc of McDonald's. And Ray Kroc is a high school dropout. He told his mother at 15 that he didn't have time to waste on high school. And, and there's a female auto racing phenomenon, Danica Patrick, and she also dropped out of high school and became the first woman in big-time auto racing history to win a major race. So it's interesting that these dropouts, um, to me it's interesting that some of these dropouts, like especially Gates and Jobs and people like that, they have these companies now with hiring policies that often require people to have college diplomas. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it seems absurd to me. Here are these guys that didn't even finish college and yet they're requiring college diplomas. So it's all about that social engineering. If you read Gatto a lot, you, you get the idea that what, what, it, what this extended schooling is doing is just really training clerks, you know, for the jobs of the future um, and, and not, allow, not encouraging them and their unique abilities and innate talents at all. It's just training clerks. And, mm. and if you want a better life, then, then you've got to rethink this stuff a little bit. Well, and when we think of dropouts, though, there is a stereotype attached to dropouts. You think of dropouts as being just losers, right? Well, I don't anymore, but I do know exactly what you mean, that many people do think that, yes. Yes, and so um, what we're looking at here are people who are, you know, sort of entrepreneurs, and they're, they're out there. They know exactly what they want to do, how they're going to get to where, to where they want to go. And, that you know, you're right, you know, school and college is just going to get in their way. They just want to go get ahead and usually have founded their own companies and have their own businesses. And, um, you know, maybe how difficult is it in reality for um, someone to get a job without a college degree? You can speak to that, I think. 
Yeah. Well, actually, you know, there's been a, co- a few studies now because, I mean, uh, for the longest time we all believed that um, if you had a college degree that you would make more money in the long run. And now there have been a couple of studies for magazines done one, smartmoney.com's done it, uh, written articles um, that, that make the case for why um, going to college isn't necessarily the best financial plan, that, that you actually, if you saved and invested what you would normally spend on a college education, that you'd wind up way ahead and in the long term make more money than somebody who didn't, I mean, who did go to college. So, mm-hmm. um, And that's kind of interesting to me to see those kinds of studies coming around now because college is getting so darn expensive for people to go to, and, and it isn't delivering what it promises to deliver in many cases. So, And, and that, then I think you have to take a look at that whole idea of is it, do you have to have um, – a college diploma to get a job, and over and over again we see that that's not really true, um, especially not in the tech fields these days, where so many, you know, here I live in, in California in the middle of Silicon Valley, and a lot of these wonderkins, you know, kids who are just like gamers, right, and techies, they just love gaming and they do incredible things with developing um, new games and programs and things like that. And, and if they have the skills and the ability because they've been applying themselves and doing that over a period of time, sometimes they're, they're very hireable because they've developed these skills. So um, I think apprenticeship, mentorship, internships, all of these things may be the path of the future as opposed to um, or vocational technical training, um, which we've just poo-pooed here like crazy. We just yeah. um, sort of sort of made people feel like losers if they're in the trades, which is yeah. just crazy because it ignores the whole incredible skill set uh, amongst the human race. You know, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we've ignored an awful lot of people and and their talents by insisting that they go to college, or we've repressed them, or we've made them angry or unhappy. Or, uh, you know, a thousand different things. So. And, and the other thing is, is that, you know, most colleges, um, with regard to high school diplomas, most colleges don't even require that you have um, a high school diploma. Harvard and Stanford are two that do not require a high school diploma in order to gain entrance. So and people have to rethink all of this stuff. Well, exactly. And um, what about these big companies? You know, you mentioned Apple and Microsoft and that. Uh, do they offer um, apprenticeships and, and mentorships or is the only way to get in through college degrees? Um, I think there's probably a little bit of both. And I think a, a lot of times it's not what you know so much, but who you know and the connections that you make and in order to get, you know, backdoor kinds of jobs, right? Um and, and, and in terms of apprenticeships and stuff, I mean, if, if we're going to be talking about kids who are into gaming or technology or something like that, then there are some wonderful resources out there um, for those kids. And I'll mention a few of them. Um, there's an organization called FreshBrain.org, and it provides teens with tools and training in the latest technologies, including social networking. We're talking about gaming and graphic design and robotics and videos and music and movies and a whole lot more. So I mean, if people listening on this call have kids who are love to play video games all day and they're, then they're worried or concerned that maybe this is not going to develop into a marketable skill, uh, check out freshbrain.org. And then uh, a woman named Sandra Dodd, who is um, helped to um, promote the idea of radical unschooling, she has a website 
And at her website, there are like over 40 articles on video gaming and possibilities for careers and things like that for kids who really enjoy that kind of technology. And people can get to those articles at SandraDodd.com forward slash video games. And then there's another um, website called RealityIsBroken.org, and it. Uh, I think it's based on a book called Reality is Brokering, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World, and explains how playing video games is really beneficial, which is, is counter to, to what um, a lot of people in the culture say. And even amongst the homeschool community, um, video gaming is, um, is suspect. So um, this is sort of a, a, an idea that um, people need to investigate and look at more and see, well, is it true or isn't it? And what, what's in it for my kid if you have a kid who is really into this kind of gaming? And the other thing I like to point out is a wonderful resource called TED.com. TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And what they do at TED is they bring together the world's most fascinating thinkers and doers. Uh, and they're challenged to give the talk of their lives in just 18 minutes. And then they record their talks. I mean, these are talks by scientists and doctors and, and entrepreneurs and uh, people who are just ahead in their fields, and they're archived at the site for free so you can watch them and get all kinds of inspiration because you hear their stories and how they started, and oftentimes they start without any kind of formal training or college degree or anything else. So um, I think all of those resources are probably valuable for your listeners. Well, good. That sounds wonderful. And I am actually going to put all of those onto um, my website when I finish my show here. I'll, I'll, I'll put all that stuff up there. Oh, great. Um, but, you know, um, there are some places, like, for example, my son um, is a zookeeper um, at the Dallas Zoo, and there's no way that he would get that job without his degree. Absolutely no way at all. Unless, as you say, his dad was the, I don't know, the head of the Parks and Rec or something like that and got him in through the back door. So there are there is a place. There is a place, I think, for college and, and for, you know, getting your degrees. But as you said, there's a huge section of the population who just aren't college material. They're, they're, you know, sort of better off going to the tech schools or doing the games and, you know, or just being entrepreneurs, traveling, whatever it is that they do. Yeah, I, and I, I want to go back to that um, zookeeper thing because my I had a son who uh, who also volunteered over a thousand hours at the Happy Hollow Zoo in San Jose when he was a teen, and um, he he was uh, he shadowed the vet the vets there. He w- was involved in the education programs at the zoo where he uh, told the public, you know, like he he'd bring the great horned owl out and he would he'd have him tethered on you know onto a big old glove, you know, and. And he would um, demonstrate the owl for the for the crowds that would gather around and tell them all about him. And he did this with all the different education animals. Um, and and then he would um, he conducted fecal you know fecal samples and and blood samples and all kinds of things on the animals there in um, working with the veterinarians. So he was becoming more like a vet tech, you know, doing this kind mm-hmm. of work. Um, and by the time he was through, when he was 17, they did offer him a job as a zookeeper Obvious. at 20, $27 an hour, which was unheard mm-hmm. of. Usually you have to have a college degree for that position. Mm-hmm. But because he had invested so many volunteer hours and he was so capable and learned so quickly, they just thought, well, yeah, you'd be great. So they offered him the job, and then it turned out that their insurance wouldn't cover him until he oh. was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So, And at that point, he, he was sort of at a crossroads anyway, and um, he decided to go to Berkeley College of Music for a while. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what he did instead uh, of waiting to turn 18 to, to get that particular job. But 
So that you know, there are ways to get jobs, but to become a veterinarian, obviously, you'd have to go to college. Yeah. It's required, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and you're right. But but here's the difference. It's wonderful when you make the choice because you care about it. It's of interest to you. It's what you want to do with your life. And what I am encouraging people to do is to do exactly that, to follow their interests and their passions, figure out what they want to do, and then if they want to go to college, by all means, go. You'll make the most of it. Okay, Diane, we've come to the end of our time, and we have to go away on a break. You have a fabulous weekend. Oh, you too. I can't believe it's over. (laughs) I know. Homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleOdell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back. This is a busy show this week. I've been talking to Diane Flynn-Keith, mother of two grown boys who survived their teen years without high school. Diane has written an audio seminar and resource guide on how to unschool your teens. So if you go to her website, www.homefires.com, you'll learn how to rethink, redefine, and reinvent the teen years. And also, if you go onto my Toggynet website, you will find the um, the websites about um, the techies and games and that kind of stuff that um, she was talking about. So, anyway, I'm going to carry on now because, as you probably know by now, all you mothers out there and any children that are listening, it is Mother's Day on Sunday. 
And um, coincidentally, May 8th is also my mother's birthday, but not Mother's Day in England. And did you know that for centuries, mother figures have been celebrated with festivals, parades, cakes and flowers? And it wasn't until 1908 when Anna M. Jarvis campaigned for the creation of an official Mother's Day in remembrance of her mother and in honour of peace that the holiday began to gain popularity. Woodrow Wilson was the man who signed it into national observance in 1914, declaring the second Sunday of May as Mother's Day in America and forever setting in motion the flower industry's exploitation of that holiday holiday. Early Egyptians had an annual festival to honour the goddess Isis. In ancient Rome, a similar festival was held in honour of the Phrygian goddess Sibylle, or Magna Mater, the Great Mother. And the festival took place around the vernal equinox in March, so just a little bit later today. The Greeks honoured Re, the mother of the gods. Similar deities were worshipped in other cultures. And conservative celebrations included eating honey cakes and sharing flowers in the morning. Wild celebrations were discouraged or banned. Wild must mean lots of drinking and crazy parties. Games were held in honour of the celebrated mother, and sometimes procession was led through the streets but we don't have mother's day processions um, today um, in europe early christians initially used the day to honor the church in which they were baptized their mother church it would be decorated with jewels flowers and other offerings the celebration fell on the fourth sunday in lent and it still does in the 1600s a clerical degree in england broadened the celebration to include real mothers and referred to the day as mothering day servants and trade workers on this day were allowed to travel back to their towns of origin to visit their families mothering day also provided a one-day reprieve from the fasting and penance of Lent so that families across England could enjoy a family feast. When the first settlers came to America, they abandoned Mother's Day celebrations. One of the reasons was they just didn't have the time, I ask you, no time to set aside a day or even a portion of a day to recognise poor old mum. Those early settlers didn't know how to chillax. A more credible reason for me anyway, since I'm a biased as a mother, was that Mothering Day conflicted with the early settlers' puritanical ideals. The pilgrims, fleeing religious constraints, chose to ignore all secular holidays. Anyway, the first North American Mother's Day was conceptualized in 1870 by Julia Ward Howe. She was distraught by the death and carnage of the Civil War, and she called upon mothers to protest the census killing of their sons by each other's sons. She called for an international day celebrating peace and motherhood. For a few years while she was still alive, Julia footed the bill for the celebratory day, but on her death, it took, looked doomed to fail until a West Virginia women's group led by Anna Reeves Jarvis began to celebrate Julia's holiday. When Anna Senior died, her daughter Anna Jarvis Jr. petitioned the superintendent of the church that her mother had taught Sunday school at for 20 years to set aside a day in remembrance of her mother and in honour of peace. And on May 10th, 1908, the first official Mother's Day celebration took place. In 1914, after years of hard work by the Annas, as I've mentioned before, our hero Woodrow Wilson signed the occasion into national observance. So the second Sunday in May became the official Mother's Day. 
With the elder Anna's distribution of carnations to all mothers on that first celebration, what she did was she gave white carnations to honor deceased mothers and a red or pink carnation to honor a living mother. And with that, a can of greedy worms was opened. Anna Jarvis wrote this in opposition to the flower industry's exploitation of the holiday more than a hundred years ago. What would you do to rout charlatans, bandits, pirates, racketeers, kidnappers, and other termites that would undermine with their greed one of the finest, noblest, and truest movements and celebrations? What would you do indeed? Despite her efforts, we all know how powerful Hallmark and other merchandising companies are. Flower sales on Mother's Day continue to grow. Anna Jarvis was completely squelched. She died in 1948, blind, poor, childless, and Ali, something she would never know and definitely not have approved of, it was the florist exchange who had anonymously paid for her care. Mother's Day in America and England continues to be highly commercialized. Florists see their highest sales in May. U.S. restaurants claim it to be the busiest day of the year, all those moms refusing to cook for the large family gathering. Long-distance phone calls peak on that day, as do emails, texting, and Facebooking. And May 8th just happens to be my mother's 87th birthday, but for her it's not a plain old Mother's Day. It's her special day. Plain old Mother's Day was on April the 3rd and I never remember it. So I just kill two birds with one stone when I make my dutiful and loving call to England. A footnote to all of this, Mother's Day is not generally celebrated by all families as seen by the fact that the owners of my daughter's ballet school completely ignored the day. At least the male half of the partnership did. For 10 years I was made to sit in an auditorium to watch my children take centre stage. Where was my limelight? I'll steal it this week have a wonderful day on Sunday, all you mothers out there. So how are you this week? I must say I am feeling so much better. I looked in my calendar and realized I'd been sick for a record number of days for me, three weeks, 21 days in a row. Have you ever noticed that when you start to feel better, even if you didn't realize that being sick was pulling you down that much, the world inexplicably begins to look terrific. Nothing phases you. Enemies are lovable beasts. Arguments wither and die. Irritations stop nagging at your senses. I find it's as if I'm looking through a pair of rose-tinted glasses. A glow of well-being floats around my fellow Earth cohabitants and those residing with me in my home. I must have been terribly sick, but I was also busy. And the week before I got better, I did something that will make every healthcare aficionado cringe and probably issue a warrant for my arrest. I had my husband put out a call to family, friends and acquaintances for antibiotics while I was rehearsing in church. I pleaded with him to call in all the favours owed to us, mafia style. The cups of sugar never repaid, the loaned eggs that became gifts, the children watched for free and many other borrowables that have been racked up over a quarter of a century. I desperately needed some relief because I just didn't have time to go sit in a doctor's office. The first four antibiotics arrived with a three-year-old from next door who needed looking after for a couple of hours. It was amoxicillin to be taken twice a day. Not my preferred antibiotic, but since I rarely succumbed to their medicinal magic, I was game for anything. In the afternoon, two Cipro made their way through the door, one a day a broad-spectrum medicine that could zap anything. And then on Easter Sunday, in return for being invited to our loverly party, I was bought two other broad-spectrum and um, 
penicillin-type antibiotics. Um, old and trusty cillins from days gone by also at one a day. So I had enough for six days. And you know what? So far, so good. So very, very good. Thanks, all my friends, neighbors, and family. I'm seeing you as different candlelight, soft and rosy with no visible flaws. Well, for now, anyway. My mum has been diagnosed with some sort of malignant cancer on her tongue, which needs to be treated with a combination of surgery, chemotherapy and radiation. The doctors are insisting on doing another CT scan, even though one has been done at the hospital where she's awaiting treatment. But they have agreed to share the biopsy results. It's a waiting game. And one of my friends said that a rush to her bedside would make no difference to the treatment she's getting now. Because with the national health, I'm up against a bureaucratic monster of huge proportions. Jacob, my young cousin's funeral, is on May 16th at Canterbury Cathedral. Wildflowers and memories have been requested, so we're going to put together what we remember from our visits. I'd really like to go, but my blue-eyed cowboy and I are planning on moving over there to live with my mum for a while this summer. So, as with Jane's funeral, I'll miss it by a few days. We've been cleaning out our house in preparation for renting it, and originally the renters were going to be my zookeeper's son and four of his zookeeper friends. We had met them several times and everything seemed set until we asked them to sign an agreement a couple of weeks ago. Then their immaturity shone through and they bolted. I won't go into the incredulity I felt as each one dropped out. They didn't want to sign a one-year lease. They didn't want to help find a replacement if they had to leave. They just wanted a nod and a handshake and a move in month to month. So now we're scrambling. And I suppose worst case scenario, we'll be left paying for our house here while Simon lives in it on his own. Our past seems to be littered with obstacles and all we can do is trust in God, which we've always done. The only problem the controller in me has with this is why won't he let me in on his plan? My lovely Texan and hubby of a quarter of a century had such trouble getting his settlement visa. You think he was a terrorist, bad word to say on the radio, or a money launderer or something. Both my mother and I had to write letters inviting him to come and live with us in England. He had to tell the story of how we met, why we married, show proof of income, explain why we had a bank account in America and England. But it did finally come through exhausting us with the hoop jumping. But this is an exciting time for us since we're leaving our nest, which is probably the wrong way around. Well, I've managed to go on for another whole hour and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week. I'm going out to dinner and to see an Agatha Christie play tonight and tomorrow I'm going to see a play with Malia. Sunday's Mother's Day so have a lovely time all you mums out there. Continue to hold Jacob and his family in your prayers. He was featured on the front page of the local Canterbury paper this week. How sad to see an article about one of your children dying. My children all thought so. For this week I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight after four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Togginet Radio, my guests Diane Flynn-Keith and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Tina, thanks for the email, Rosemary, and stay connected for Ali Dupreet with This Little Parent Stayed Home. And by the way, Ali, one of my listeners also listens to you. She's catching up on your podcast. And she said it's all because I mention you at the end of my show. So enjoy our shows, Tina. And um, did I say something about the weather? Well, I kind of did. We had 24-hour bursts of rain, which reminded me of my homeland. A steady drizzle most of the day interspersed with hail and thunder. The temperatures dropped, too. And with all our woolies in the attic, we had to wrap blankets around ourselves to keep warm. Put on the heat. 
not on your Nelly. Then when the sun did come out, the sky was as clear as can be and everything is looking lush and green. Um, And that's it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.